0: Jeremiah 29, I'd like to read a whole bunch of verses this morning, but I think I'll read the text verse and then we'll just go and briefly look at other verses that are here in this passage as well, see what God has for us this morning. Would you bow your head with me as we ask for God's help? Special touch in his looking into his word. Father, you've been good to us today. You've blessed us with your presence. We've had a wonderful time of rejoicing. We've just listened to a good song that is sung that certainly speaks to the innermost of the heart, challenging us to follow you. And as Becca sang, always follow you always. Always. May it be a reality of all of our hearts this morning. And I pray that you would give us that anointing that is needed as we look into your word. May it become alive to us, blessing us. Give us that help that is needed, that divine touch that is needed. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The text verse is verse number 11. I hear this, I read this, it doesn't seem like it's been all that long ago that I looked at it in a message, but I didn't go back to try to find it exactly, because I felt like the Lord wanted me to revisit it no matter when it was that I saw it and looked at it before. You know these words, probably you've memorized them. Maybe sometimes you stand on them in the midst of a battle or in the midst of a storm. And they've been and brought comfort to you and strength in the midst of that time. They're really good words. For I know the thoughts, or some translations say the plans that I have, or the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. They are good words. They're challenging words. But one thing that I think we have to understand when we look at those particular words, they were not given to the Israelite people at the height of David's kingdom. When everything was going good, all the battles had been won. He was resting and peace was prevalent and they were getting ready to go into Solomon's kingdom and his reign and what a wonderful time of peace and prosperity. The blessings of God were prevalent. They were promised. They were, they were abundant in that time. This was not given to them at the height of Israel's glory. It was not given to them as they were on the mountaintop. As a matter of fact, it was given to them when they were in the valley. Sometimes we look at this and we think that God's giving it to us when we're, when we're facing the, the, the mountain. And we're, we're facing the blessings. And, and we, want to, we want to receive all of these good things in life. And so when the scripture, when God speaks through the prophet here and he says that that God has specific thoughts and he has specific plans. We want to ignore that those plans for the Israelites included captivity, included problems. And that's the way it is for us. If we're going to accept and receive this passage as a promise for ourselves, then we're going to have to also realize that the promise also includes the potential of problems that can come, maybe even to the point of a captiveness. Now, we could probably look at that word captive, and, and we can compare it to a lot of things. We're not going to be held captive as such, maybe. But there's a lot of things that we can look at in our lives that would be comparable to that word. We could say a dark time. We could say a dismal time. We could say challenging. We could say there's a there's physical challenges that bring about darkness. There's, there's emotional challenges that bring about darkness. There's all sorts of things that can take place in your life or in my life my life they can bring us to the point of a deep and dark valley. We have to realize that that valley is a part of the plan or the thought that God has for us to bring about an expected end. You know, the New Testament very clearly, New Testament writer says that all things work together for our good. A.F. Harper says that God's word to his people in a wicked world is what we could call what he was titling this section, this chapter. God's word to his people in a wicked world. I think if we look at that, we can realize that he's also speaking to us in in the same capacity. We can look around us and we can see all kinds of darkness all around the world. There's all sorts of problems around the world. You look at Israel and the tragic situations and circumstances there. You can look at Ukraine and Russia and see the, cir- the circumstances there. You look at Korea, North Korea, South Korea, and all of the bumping up against each other and the borders and, and all that is taking place in Korea, antagonizing one or the other. And the list could go on. We come over to our side of the world and we talk about the problems that exist in America and we certainly have those. We're troubled by all of the problems that exist in America. We can even zero it down to Martin County and realize that Martin County has some problems. You know, we're, we're, we're facing darkness. We're facing challenges. We're facing some valleys in Martin County, right here where we live, or if you want to go over to Lawrence County or, or uh, wherever your county is that you live, Orange County. We face these dark times, there's troubling times, there's, there's all kinds of dismal things that are going on around us. What about in our own personal lives? We look at our personal lives, and when we talk about our personal lives, that would include our families, that would include our church family, and we can see darkness that is pressing in. Darkness that is pressing up against the light, pressing against the spiritual existence that, is, that God wants to have in our circumstance, in our world, in our life, in our church. There's a few things that we can look at and draw out of chapter 29 here in the previous verses, and let me look at them as quickly as I can, follow with me as quickly as you can. First of all, in verse number five, it would tell us that we are to take adequate care for our physical needs. Take adequate care and, 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 and be, be what, what we ought to be in the midst of our personal lives in the physical needs. He's not trying to, to ignore that. He's not trying to, to subdue that or, or cause us to think that we don't have to be careful of those things. That's a part of what he's talking about, even in the midst of their captivity. He said, take care, adequate care for your personal needs, your physical needs. We also see in the following verse, the next one, that he was also challenging them and he's challenging us, even in the midst of our present circumstances of darkness pressing against us, that we are to plan for the next generation of God-fearing people. Plan for it. Well, we could spend a lot of time here talking about raising our children Rearing our children, training our children, teaching our children, bringing them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Not being afraid to stand against the customs of our world that are pressing in. We hear it over and over again today that you're not allowed to spank your kids. You're not allowed to to discipline your kids. You can't do much of anything. And we see it all around us in the public sector. Problems. Sad to say that some of it's crept into the church realm as well. Plan for the next generation of God fearing people. We have one chance, we have one opportunity. God, help us to take advantage of that opportunity to teach and to train, plan for that next generation of God-fearing people. Perhaps I should take a little more time here on this particular one, but I, I pray that it settles into our hearts that we take it by the job. We take it seriously to teach our children, not expect somebody else to do it, but to do it ourselves in preparation for their lives on their own. In verse number 7, it tells us that God is telling the people here in captivity that they are to be good citizens, as good a citizen as possible that they are in the midst of their personal situation of captivity, that they are to be a good citizen. Let's look at it. Seek the peace of the city, whether I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it, for in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. And if we're peacemakers rather than problem causers. That's what he's saying. Not only to pray for the peace, but to be a peacemaker in the midst of our present circumstances of captivity. Be a good citizen. We can move on to verse number 8, verse number 9, and we realize that here, that he's, he's carrying it a little bit further. That we, are, that we are not to be swayed by the rumors and the rebellions uh, of those that are around us. Let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to, you, to your dreams which ye have caused uh, uh, to be dreamed, Sharing with the young people a few weeks ago, I tried to stress that it doesn't matter what's being said, it doesn't matter who's saying it, we have to go back to the Word of God as the foundation for truth. Even if the pastor says something that sounds good, it might even resonate within the heart of an individual, but if it does not balance with the truth of God's Word, it is not truth. There's a warning there in verses 8 and 9. Do you see that? Did you catch that? He's talking to people that are in captivity, which would indicate that there are some things that are, that are prevalent. There are some things that are possible. And so when we look at our own individual lives and the darkness upon which we are living, we are, we are placed in this place. We are, we are positioned here. God has us here for a reason. For such a time as this, every single one of us has a place in this darkness. But we have to be careful that that darkness doesn't press into our lives. Don't be swayed by the things that are going on around us. Of course, then it culminates there in verse number 11. Bringing us back to the text verse, for I know the thoughts, I know the plans... You see, we're still under God's providence. We're still in, in God's hand. We're, we're still fulfilling the plan that He has for our lives. Now, well, let me jump back to verse number four. We skipped over that earlier, but let me look at it just to, to remind us of the value of, of verse number 11. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. You see, that's who he's speaking to. Verse number 10, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you, in causing you to return to this place... You see what he's saying? He's saying that there are difficulties, there are captivities, there are dark times that are in the person's life. But that does not mean that God doesn't have a design for that for you to bring about a better end. What is God's expected end? What do you think God's expected end is for you as you look at life ahead and maybe see the challenges of the, t- of the present day? Maybe you see the darkness of the present day. Maybe you're experiencing some kind of a spiritual captivity and the enemy has you bound by some dark time. I'm confident that that's the goal of the enemy is to bring you into captivity, bring us into captivity, to bring and subdue us and to suppress us. But God has a plan. He has thoughts towards you. There's an expected end. What is that expected end? Is it just heaven? Oh, yes, I I, I long to go. There's a lot of people over there that I'd love to see. Jesus, I want to bow before him. What a day of rejoicing that'll be. Just one glimpse of his dear face. I'm reminded of all of those choruses and thoughts and, and the beauty of heaven, the grandeur of heaven. But that's not all that God wants for us in the way of the future end. What is God's expected end? Well, if we look at the scripture here and what we are seeing in Jeremiah chapter 29, we can see a little bit of it, even in the lives of the children of Israel, as God is challenging them to live in the midst of a wicked world with the prospects of God's plans and God's thoughts for something greater. He then goes on to explain a little bit of it. Let's look at it just quickly. Verse number 12, Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you unto you. Did you hear that? You that's in the valley, you that's facing the dark time, you that's struggling with something in your life right now. Did you hear what, what God was saying to the captive Israelites as he's challenging them and reminding them that there is something good that is yet to come? What is he saying? He's saying, seek me. Far too often I see it, I see it far too often that when people come up against some dark times, some difficult times, they pull away from God rather than pull up closer to God. Why is that? Why is that? Because that's the way the enemy wants us to follow. That's the direction he wants us to go. Because he knows that as we pull away from the table of the Lord that we are weak in ourselves, lacking strength and direction. God is challenging the children of Israel to pull up to his table. Call ye upon me. Verse number 13, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Now, those are the challenges. The challenges of of God's heart calling us and, and drawing us to come to him in the midst of that dark captivity or that struggling, that battle, whatever it may be. You know, we sang about some of that in some of the songs that we sang this morning. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flames shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. See, even in the midst of the fire, he's talking about the expected end. A good expected end, but we're going to have to draw close. And that's what he's saying, draw close to him. Verse number 14, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity and I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places, whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. You say, I don't understand those words. Well, let me translate them into our circumstance that in the midst of the trying times that we face, the dark valley that you go through, the whatever captivity that you may experience in your own life, when God is calling us to him and we respond to draw close to him and to seek him early, he then brings about a victory of the returning to the place of victory. And that's what Jerusalem was, the place of victory, the place of renown, the place of of the light. Not just heaven, but for the here and the now, the victory that he has for us. We may not see how that is possible. And I'm sure that these captives in in, in Israel, these captives in Babylon, excuse me, could not understand how they were ever going to get back out. But God said, you seek me and I will respond. You call unto me and I will answer. You come after me and I will restore. God's expected end is not for us to continue to wallow around in that valley of despair, but to come out victorious with light on our face. So when you look at verse number 11 and you want to cling to it, remember that it's given to the people in the midst of the valley. The promise of the mountaintop is still there. In the midst of the darkness, God's providential hand is still holding us. In the midst of the trials of life, we can seek him and he will answer. Let's stand together this morning. That soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. Though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. Praise God. You and I can trust him this year. You and I can trust him right now. He has light for us. Rejoicing for us and victory for us. Praise God. Thank God for his grace. Is every heart clear this morning? Forget our services tonight. can God's help again this evening. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. James Tedrow, would you dismiss us?